We are continuing our series, four-part series. This is week three of The Journey. And if you remember, uh, the first one was The Dream, where we talked about the vision that God gives us for our life and how wildly different that can look. Last week was kind of the hardest of all the weeks, where we talked about the struggle, where it's the fight, it's the battle, it's the, all the hard stuff. It's the suffering. And I tried not to pull any punches when we talked about suffering and how suffering is a necessary part of the Christian life. If you missed that, go back and watch it. It was so much fun to, to do. You should definitely watch the sermon on suffering. But this week is this little plant guy here, and we're going to talk about growth. And if you remember, what we've been doing is kind of paralleling this to the story of Joseph and how God gave him the awesome dreams that he's going to rule everything. But then came all the struggle, all the bad stuff of being framed and sold and death row, all of that. But then later, after all of that, he is able to stand in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is able to make this proclamation, like, you're the most amazing guy I know. Um, and so, and then at the end, we'll talk about the understanding. So we're going to jump right into this, and I think I can cover all the scriptures that we're going to look at. But here's what I want us to, to understand. The growth is usually, not always, but usually, the outcome of the struggle. There's so much, and I'm going to say this over and over again, there's so many times where we want the growth, we want to be mature or to, to know more, be more capable, we want all of those things without any of the struggle, and that's just not how it happens most of the time. And so, but, what, but we're going to look at this growth, and I want us to know something. This is hard sometimes. But the Christian life, a life of discipleship, is actually a life of growth. And, that, and some of you might be like, really? Can't I just chill my whole life as a disciple? And this might be a broad generalization, but I'm going to say the answer is no. That if you, if you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, one of the things you're signing up for is a life of continual growth. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to be ready to embrace growth. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus and yet never change, you might not really be wanting a life of discipleship. And it might hurt you. And so we're going to talk. I'm going to try to share some of my own story of, of change over the years. But look at what Paul says in Ephesians. This is one guy writing one letter to one church, and he mentions this idea of growing so much. Ephesians 4, he talks about how that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then a verse later, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. It's a whole idea of, in the Christian life, you are meant to 
become something. And that tomorrow's version of you, hopefully, looks a little bit more like Jesus than today's version of you. And that that shouldn't be shocking. And yet, if you remember our authentic series, where that goes totally against our culture, where it's like, no, this me, now, this is the best me, I'm living my best life, I gotta be true to this. And that's so not in the Bible, that's so against, you know, the idea of discipleship. Where it's like, yeah, you might even be a great guy, God has something even better that he's, he's working towards in you. The thing that God is making you into is not necessarily who you are right now. And we need to be okay with that. Another way to say this is, you're not done yet. You are not, you have not finished your race. You are not full and complete and perfect and mature yet. And I hope that's not insulting. I hope that they're like, we, we can all be like, sounds great. I can't wait to see what God's got in store for me. Here's another one. Second Peter. I love this. And I've preached on this several times. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. It's this idea of adding. That wherever you are now, there is something on that list that can be added to you, and you'll benefit from it. If I look at that list, I'm like, I could, I could use more of that. I could use more of that. Nothing on this list I have attained perfection on. I have, I have not filled up my, my, any of these. I've not filled up my self-control tank, reservoir. I have plenty of room to grow in my self-control. I have plenty of room to grow in my mutual affection, in my godliness, in my perseverance. So this is a life of adding. Wherever you're at now, your tanks and these things are not full, and you could use more of these. And sometimes we think, okay, like we want to think of this as like a level-up achievement or a badge on a, like a Boy, Boy Scout sash. Like, I got my goodness badge done. That's not how this life works. And you'll, you'll, if that's how you think, you're going to be so immature. If the first time you practice self-control as a baby Christian and you're like, whoo, I'm so glad I figured that out. Moving on to the next thing. And that's the level of self-control that you keep for the rest of your life. I feel sad for you. You're so horribly immature. Because the Christian life is a life of growth. It's a life of adding things. So we're going to look at three ways, and this, this is not really, this is like my worst structured sermon. These are not points, but this is going to be kind of like an amorphous blob of teaching. But we're going to look at three ways that we need to grow. And hopefully this makes sense in your brain. So one of them is spiritually. We all need to grow spiritually, which means our relationship with God needs to grow. Our love for God, our understanding of who God is, our ability to accept who we are in relationship to him. This is your discipleship. This is your lordship. This is your son and daughtership of God. You need to grow in this. But that's not the only way. Uh, you also need to grow in your character. Your personal maturity and wisdom. Get wisdom. You should always be growing in your maturity and wisdom. Just you. This is just growing up. You're a kid. You want to be a you know, you're a boy, you want to be a man. You're a girl, you want to be a woman. You're, 
you're an infant, you want to be a functional human being, you need to grow in your character. And then lastly, we need to grow interpersonally. We need to grow in the ways that we connect to each other. In here and with everybody, with all human beings. Now here's what's, what's cool. We need to grow in our compassion. We need to grow in our ability to communicate with one another. We need to grow in our consideration of one another, that we think about each other. And sometimes, here's what's crazy, when you grow in the first two, the third one just naturally gets a bump up. Why? Because you're a better person and people trust you more. And people are like, I believe that he's not lying to me. And so your interpersonal you know, relationship has, Im has improved because you are a more spiritual person. Does that make sense? People will see you as godly. They will trust you. So I want you to even think about these three parts of your life. Which one would you say is the, m is the furthest along? And which one would you say is maybe in the need of the most work? Like, where do you really see, like, I need growth in this area. And we're going to kind of tackle all that. So I'm, I've got this question. What is the growth that you want in your life? Not, this is not like a, oh, yeah, that's a great question. No, think about it. Stop. Think about it. Like, practically. Not, like, not, don't say job or money or car or anything like that, although we need some cars in the fellowship right now. But don't say stuff. Say, think about the growth and get very specific about the growth that you need in your life. What are some things that you want to see develop in you, in, your, in who you are? Do you, in your character, in your relationships with people, your relationship with God? But now here's, I, I, let's just pause, just get a picture. Like, what, what do you need to grow in? And if you remember, here's the bad news. If you remember last, last week's sermon. The growth is usually a direct result of the struggle. And you're like, why? Why? Okay, I, did, I answered your question. I have in my brain very specific, very clear understanding of what I need to grow in. Just God, give me that. Just give me the thing I'm asking for. But we're almost, it's almost like we're asking for something to magically happen. Like, God, please just download a new spirit of humility into my heart. Tomorrow I'll just wake up more humble. And is God able to do that? Well, I, I'm, you know, I think God is able to do anything. But how does God actually produce humility in the lives of human beings? Man, it ain't fun, guys. It is not fun. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a couple stories in the Bible of struggle followed by growth, okay? And so we're going to start with Joseph because that's the one that we've kind of been doing this whole series around. So Joseph's struggle was this, was when his brothers threw him in the pit. They hated, they wanted to kill him. They decided, okay, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in the hole and figure out what we're going to do with him. And then they sold him, and then they sold him to a guy where he was framed. Uh, then he went to prison where he awaited, you know, death, basically. Joseph's struggle, hopefully we've made that clear, Joseph's struggle was very real, but then it got to this part. So he, he's brought up out of the prison, and he's standing before Pharaoh, 
And this is what happens. Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And this is what we want. We want this like prestige. We want to be important. We want someone important to look at us and say, man, he's awesome. But here's the bad news. He's only standing in front of Pharaoh because he was brought up out of the dungeon. He was only in the dungeon because he was raped, or he was not raped. He was charged with rape. <laughs> he, was, he was only there because he was sold as a slave. He was only there because his brothers beat him up. Guys, we want a, a shortcut to the front of that line where we want all the acclaim and all the praise. We want all the, all the good things and none of that stuff. Here's another example. One of the most, the New Testament like poster children of failure and struggle and then growth is Peter. And so we know this story about the night that Jesus was arrested. They take him and Peter follows and he's sitting outside and in Matthew 26, uh, a servant girl says, hey, you were with Jesus of Galilee and he denied it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. Now, we don't have, and so we can crucify, we, like, we can like say, man, Peter's an idiot. He's so dumb. He does all the dumbest things. And yet, he's also the only person, that, he's the only of the disciples that we have this story about. Because he was the only one there. And so we don't, have a, we don't have a story of whether or not Bartholomew denied Jesus. Because Bartholomew was gone. After the garden, they were all split. Peter came, he, he tried and he failed spectacularly for all to see for the rest of time. Same thing with like, you know, Peter's the only guy that failed at walking on water. I mean, you're like, well, I tried as a kid to run across the pool, but, but he did it and then he failed at it. And I think if I was one of the guys in the boats, I'm like, dang, I should have got out of the boat. Peter's the only one that did it. And so Peter's failures are on full display. And yet... He goes from this, I don't know this man, to preaching the most, one of the most famous sermons in the New Testament church where he preaches who Jesus is to everyone. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. And he goes on and on and on. But now, now he knows the man. He didn't know him because he was a coward, but now he knows the man. He starts out as the Peter who can't talk about Jesus, and now he's the Peter who's telling everybody about Jesus. That's growth. But what about you? Here's two versions of Peter. I don't know the man. Let me tell you about Jesus. 
But what about you? What is the future version of you that future generations are going to say, this is who Ben was. This is who Martin or Gates or Steve or Courtney. These, this is who this person is. And you'll be like, boy, don't you even wish you knew who I was. I just had this conversation with a guy back in Ann Arbor because he looks at us. We're old now. He looks at us and he's like, Man, you guys, your, your marriage is strong, your spirituality is strong, and I'm a loser. And I'm like, dude, when I was your age, holy cow, I was a train wreck. That's growth. It's good. It's good to look back and be like, yeah, I was, I was an idiot. And I'm, we're going to look at that in a little bit. But, but this is growth. So what's the future version of you? And again, that goes against our culture that's like, well, you're saying I need to be something else? Yes! You need to be more like Jesus. You need to be something else to be your true, authentic version of you. That's what we call developing, growing, maturing. Who are you now, and what are you going to become? Here's an interpersonal. Here's an interpersonal. Uh, I, I love this example. Here's interpersonal growth and maturity. This is Peter and Paul. Paul writes to the church in Galatia and tells them about the fight that they had between him and Paul and Peter. And he says, you know, now Cephas, that's Peter, okay? If you didn't know that. It's just an Aramaic word for, you know, Peter. Uh, he, when he came to Antioch, he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a gentle and Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish custom? So this is Paul basically saying, like, I put Peter in his place because they weren't eating together. I'm like, this is, you can't do this. This is horrible. Okay. So Peter and Paul have an issue interpersonally. They're bumping heads. Now. If, if it followed the same template that a lot of interpersonal issues follow, they just drift apart, never talk to one another, stay away from each other, agree to disagree, or whatever we call that, set up boundaries, and then they never, they never get close. But, but they were committed to growing. And so years later, Peter, as an old man, writes his letters and he actually comes to the defense of Paul. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter 3. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you, with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters. Speaking of them in these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And so I use this for, as an example because interpersonally, here's Peter and Paul, they're bumping heads, and yet at, towards the end, he's, he comes to his defense. He's like, Paul is my dear brother. He has wisdom from God. And if anyone is trying to, you know, take his writings and mistreat them, like, that's not right. But are there relationships that, that you're in right now that look like Peter and Paul in Galatians? 
And what's the growth that you need to get that relationship to look like this, where you guys have each other's back? Are there, are there relationships that right now look like you're about to go to blows, but could become your best friend in the whole world? All right. So here's, here's a little timeline of Ben, okay? And I got some Father's Day. I got pictures of my boys in here. But I, wanna, I just want to show you, with a trip down memory lane, I want to show you what growth looks like. And not just in age. Uh, you're going to make fun of the way I look, okay? All right. So this is af right after I got baptized. It's funny because some of the campus could not even, like, figure out who I was in this picture. But I'm the guy in the middle. That's me. That looks like me, right? That's me. See? So these are, that's uh, Chad Taylor and um, Brad. This is the guy that studied the Bible with me, Brad. And um, Ron is still super faithful, great friend. Um, but this is me after, after I got baptized. I was 23 years old. And again, guys, I was a mess. I was an idiot. I had to repent of a lot of things. I'm just going to pick one out to show, to demonstrate this. I, I say, like, unashamedly, I may have been the most selfish person I knew in the entire world when I, uh, when I got converted. I literally only thought of me all the time. And it didn't matter if other people were, like, pushed aside or ignored or hurt. We moved a lot, and so I would literally just, like, I wouldn't even say goodbye to, like, my next-door neighbor, my best friend at school, or anybody. Like, I would just be like, we're moving. They'd be like, oh, when are we going to see you again? And in my mind, I'm thinking, never. I'm just going to leave, and I'll never see you. And that happened many times. And I just didn't care about people. And so then I, I study the Bible, and people are like, hey, man, um, you know, this is, this is who Jesus is, and this is what it means to be a disciple. And I'm like, okay, if that's what it means to be a disciple, I need to repent of a lot because I am so selfish. And I felt, as a baby Christian, I felt like I had done a really good job of repenting. I was so selfless as a baby Christian. Remember, I got my badge. I got my selflessness badge, and I was wearing it with pride. And then to demonstrate, 2 Peter, in my life, God gave me a way to show me exactly how empty my selflessness bucket was. Uh, he allowed me, through his grace, to get married. And this is Jen and I on our honeymoon. You guys have seen this picture before. This is Jen and I on our honeymoon. And it was like four days into our marriage when I realized, wow. So selfish still. Like, like, what the heck, God? I repented of this like two years ago. And God's like, oh yeah, we got work. We got work to do on who you are as a person. So I got baptized in 2000. This is 2002. And I'm, I'm learning how to repent of selfishness all over again. And so now we're a married couple, newlyweds, 
you know, and I'm like, okay, I think, I think I have it figured out. Now I'm a husband. Now I know how to be a selfless person. And then God had another stage of life in mind, and that was fatherhood. Now, this is Everett. Guys, look at this kid. He's the cutest little kid in the world. Look at his hand in his pocket. Oh my gosh. This is Everett as a little baby. God decided that the next stage of me learning how horribly selfish I am is fatherhood. Welcome gates to this realm right now. Simon, get ready. I felt like, okay, I repented of it when I got baptized. I repented of it when I'm a newlywed. And now, what in the world, God? There can't be more selfishness in my heart, right? God's like, oh, just, just you wait, dude. We got, we got a lot. We got a long road in store for you. So now I'm a dad. And guys, I tell this to people a lot, which makes me, I don't know if it makes me seem like a kid or immature or millennial or whatever, even though. I'm fully Gen X, but like, I don't, I don't think I actually grew up until well after I became a dad. Like, I look back at who that guy was with a baby, and I'm like, man, you are such a punk. You had so, you are, you are not a good guy. You had so much work to do. And so then God gave us a second. This is Freddie, the day Freddie was born. And guys, man. Two is harder. Try anything above one is really hard. And once you get in to the, you go from once you once you cross from two to three, and you go from man to man to zone defense, it's like it's like insanely difficult. Like you cannot even imagine. And I, I don't I don't try to like look down on, on single people at all. But I, I do I do firmly believe this. There are things that I had to repent of that I never even, never even had the opportunity to repent as a, as a single guy. Because, because I didn't have the struggle of marriage. Not, and so some people will be like, you know, marriage is awesome. Guys, it's a struggle. It's a great struggle, but it's hard. Being a coming a dad super struggle. It was so hard. And it's not just hard through the lack of sleep and through the giving and the energy. It's, it's hard because Jesus is going to like rip your heart open and very clearly point out all the ways that you're not like him. And so there's a, there's a growth opportunity there. And now this is us this is last fall in our backyard, me and the boys. And I think about how much has changed in who I am between this picture and that first picture. I was a 23-year-old punk. And I, and, and I can start to see that, that in the life of Joseph. And I'm like, man, God had so much pain and suffering and sleepless nights, and tears, and fights, and apologies. 
to go from point A to point wherever we are now. And then, so this is me at, um, at Rashad's baptism. This is our basement in Ann Arbor. And I remember using this back in Ann Arbor to kind of demonstrate this point. But this was like how, how all, that, all that suffering and growth and suffering and growth and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. I got to the point where I was like, man, I can see clearly that this like prepared me for ministry. But there's a trap there. Because there's a trap to think, oh yeah, I've arrived. All the, struggle, all the struggling should be done now. And end of suffering, right? Guys, no, it's just the next part of the suffering. It's, it's just a new struggle. And the, the lessons God is teaching you in wherever situation you're in right now is to get you ready for the next part too. The growth, the struggle is cyclical. The growth is cyclical. Everything is growing. It's continual. The whole journey. And so this is just a tiny little sliver look into my last 21 years. I want to ask you guys that question again. What is the growth that you want in your life? Who are you now and who do you want to become? Maybe you want to be more patient. Maybe you want to grow in your relationships with other people. Maybe you just want to grow in your relationship with God, marriage, parenting, prayer life, evangelism, giving. I want to, I want to love the truth more because I feel like that's a, something that I need to really embrace more. I want to be more pure. I want to be more self-controlled. These are all good things, not the job or the car or the, the raise. But now here's, here's my warning. Think about the growth that you want. Are you ever going to get it if you keep avoiding all those battles? Some of you have hopes and dreams, but you keep running away from all the things that actually will help you get, to that, get there. And so we pray for things, and then God gives us a perfectly designed way to get to the thing we just prayed for. And we say, no thank you. I don't, I don't want that. I want this. He's like, how in the world do you think you're going to get from here to there? And so, I want us to think about what we want and how we're going to get there. What is the growth that you want? I would encourage you to tell someone. Like, man, this is what I want to grow in over the next year, two years, five years, whatever. This is the growth that I want to see. And then let someone else, like, brainstorm all the insane ways that God could help you get there. And so I have one last thing I want to share with you guys. This is, if you've ever had, you know, dating or marriage counseling with us, we've probably shared this with you. But this is, uh, if you've ever read His Needs, Her Needs, um, William Harley is the guy who wrote it. But he talks about this, and this is really good. And so, in a relationship, whether this is a relationship with God, a relationship with other people, or a relationship with even in your own heart, I want to look at these three states of mind. The first state of mind is intimacy. What intimacy is, is closeness. That you guys are close. 
Use, use the example of you and another person before you try to apply this to in, internally or with God. Think about a person where you guys are tight, best friends, you can communicate well, you trust each other, you like work together, like everything is good. You're in, an, you're in a state of intimacy with one another. This could be your best friend, it could be your spouse, it could be parent, child, it could be anything. Any relationship can be in a state of intimacy. But then life happens. And no, here's, here's the bad news, no relationship stays here forever without being tested. So what is a test? What is it, how, does, how does your intimacy tested? Through conflict. Conflict is now the new state of mind that you guys are in, and that's where someone is hurt, someone is angry. We don't work along together well. You are actually hurting me. Like, I can't trust you. And we have negative feelings towards one another. Now, some people, some people love conflict. Those people are crazy. Those people are very strange. Most people don't like conflict, okay? So what happens? Usually, just like, you know, when you touch a stove, as soon as your brain, you don't even have to tell your brain that something's wrong. Your brain just automatically jumps out of there. Usually what happens is, when you're in a relationship in conflict, you immediately hop out of that and you go to withdrawal. Now you might think that you hop out back to intimacy. That so rarely happens, guys. Most of the time, and I'm 100% gu I'm guilty of this, most of the time when you're in a, a relationship with conflict, what happens is you immediately jump out to withdrawal, where you stop talking, you just distance yourself, you get cold, you like push people away. And we can label this as like me time and I need healing or whatever. Like I get it. But but we all would agree, we, we understand what withdrawal looks like. Okay. And and we, we talk about this a lot. Now here's the thing. We have fooled ourselves especially in, in marriages, especially in modern-day America. We have fooled ourselves that we can somehow magically turn withdrawal back into intimacy. We can just like, well, we stopped fighting. So we're good, right? And things are not good. But now you go in withdrawal long enough, and now that's just the new normal. That's the closest thing that we can imagine getting to intimacy, so let's just call this our new version of intimacy. And if it weren't for people in my life that helped me and told me when I'm being an idiot as a husband, there's a good chance that Jen and I would be, you know, 20 years stuck in withdrawal. The only way back from withdrawal to intimacy is to go back through the conflict. And you're like, please tell me there's another way. Please tell me there's another way back around, circumvent, back door. Like, please tell me I don't have to actually go back and deal with the issues until we can get re resolved again. There's no other way. You got to go back through conflict. Now, why do I say that? This is a weird chart to put, at the end of a, to put at the end of a sermon. But through the whole sermon, we've been talking about the struggle and the growth, and the struggle and the growth, and the struggle and the growth. Guys, when we go backwards through this, that is literally what happens. 
To go from withdrawal back into conflict to heal a relationship is hard. And it's painful, it's terrifying, and it's struggle. But when you can make that jump from, from conflict back into intimacy, that is the most beautiful growth in a relationship ever. But we, we, so, we, so many times we never get that. But that is a perfect snapshot of what we're trying to do, not just with each other, but even we have conflicts that we need to deal with in our own hearts. We have conflicts that we need to deal with between us and God so that we can get back to a state of intimacy. All right, so that is our, uh, that is our lesson. I want us to think, like, this is the third time I'm saying it, I want you to think about the growth that you want for your life, like tangibly. Like what do you want to grow in? And then what are the ways that God is going to like align the whole planet, all the planets, so that you are given the chance to go down that path that you probably don't want to go down. And so next week we're going to look at the last thing. We're going to look at when it finally, after everything is all done and said, and we're like, bruised and bloody on the floor and then picked back up, then it it makes sense. Through the gift of hindsight and wisdom, God can be like, that's why all this happened. So that's what we are going to look at. And so at this time, 